The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Give you in the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Yes, so much more interesting for the listener. Okay. How you doing? Mm, doing all right. Yeah. yeah. How's the new um, How's the new robot? Good. I've been screwing up and in installing things on it, but how do you screw up and install? Because uh, I've how I want to install things is I want to install it on what I have called my A drive, which is my second right. drive. But how a lot of programs work is it just they go through and they don't even give me the prompt for like where do you want to install if you go into like the mm. recommended install. So I'm having to remind myself to go custom install every time I install something so that I can change it from C drive to A drive because I don't want it on my C drive. Gotcha. So I have to uninstall UAD probably sometime today. I'll do that and reinstall it. At least it's a quick install. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. It's just annoying because I've already done it. (laughs) Yeah. I have to do it again. I'm going to probably uninstall all of that stuff because the other day when I was doing it, I ended up making a mess of like where plugins were and stuff. And so oh, yeah. I, I think I'm just going to nuke all the folders that have plugins in them and start from scratch. Yeah. Now, I know you're at the beginning of that process, but I do feel that's an important process to do every so often for yeah. uh, I I'm I've had uh one of the last last five or six weeks had some outside engineers come in and set up their own their own um sessions at home but not willing to bring in their computers they just want to bring in their sessions and use Reaper or Logic or Pro Tools or whatever. Okay. And uh Two of them had big software packages that I absolutely don't have, but happened to be free VST. VST? They have, no, didn't, uh, the combos, um, but happened to be pro, um, free software. And so they come in and they download the software. And I'm, I'm totally cool with it, thinking that, okay, they're going to download just the two or three plugins they need. But both of the software packages, you can't just download the plugins you need. You got to download the whole package. Ugh, and, yeah, yeah. And exactly. then installing it, you can't just install the ones you want, can you? No. Now, um, thankfully, in in Pro Tools, at least, and I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure in um, in the VST folders, um, you can go through and remove. The soft uh, the, the plugins that you don't use, um, and I have a 
I made a little subfolder in there just called unused and I just toss all the all the unused stuff in there just in case I grab something that's wrong but or grab something I shouldn't have should have left alone um, and so that cleans it up but it's it's that extra step that you have to go through um, and that can be super super annoying especially when every time UAD does an update they reinstall everything oh i know right and that's just that's just a pain but uad is cool so yeah uh hey speaking of speaking of plugins um waves has uh that sale that flash sale on today oh yeah Uh, i forgot like 75 different 75 different 29 dollar plugins that's 29 american so it's like 150 Canadian or something, right? But yeah, yeah, um, or 152 if in Australian dollars. Um, uh, but they're also giving away free plugins. So if you spend over $80, you get your choice of of they have a list of 10 free plugins that you can you can mm. pick from. Interesting. So it's a pretty uh, pretty good deal if if they have stuff you're looking for. They you don't. it doesn't matter because you refuse to get Waves plugins, but. I don't refuse. I just I don't have any desire to have Waves plugins in my setup, and I don't run a studio that other people use. So why do I need Waves it's, stuff? Well, I mean, the only reason you need Waves stuff is if they have a plugin that you want to use. Pretty much, right? Um, and most of the plugins that they have, there's equivalents other ways to yeah. like UAD, and when it comes to Emulations, I prefer UAD over Waves. That's fair. So, I yeah. just, yeah. I'll I use am, UAD. I decided to migrate away from Waves when um, when the mouse over knob that I use, for Cubase anyway, um, didn't work with Waves plugins. It only worked with... UAD and other well, a lot of other plugins, but it wouldn't work with UAD plugins. So I actually had to use the mouse. You mean Wave plugins? Waves plugins, yeah. You said UAD plugins. Well, you, it works with UAD plugins. Yes, but it doesn't work with Waves plugins. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There now you, you have said it correctly. Now, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Let's mark that. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, that that was an issue for a while. You know, now it's not, but I still I, I think I'm still down to just maybe three or four Waves plugins that I that I really use. Anyway, um, I haven't even bothered to install it. So I think one of the appeal of Waves is they're so freaking cheap. You know, like. UAD almost never has a sale where you can get plugins for twenty nine dollars, and when you do, it's you know uh, I got my LA three A for dirt cheap because they had a sale on it, and at the time I also had a fifty dollar uh, voucher of some kind, so I, yeah. I ended up combining those things to get it for like thirty bucks or something like that. Yeah, I did something with the uh, something similar with their uh, the SPL. Um, transient designer yeah yeah i think on average if you have like those 50 dollar 
coupons that they always give you, um, the cheapest you could get is probably about fifty bucks, which I think is fair. That's pretty fair for most for most stuff. Um, usually, the only time you're paying a lot of money is for like the newest thing that they have out, and 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 that's usually the the, the newest thing is usually the thing that I want. Right? Oh, I know. Like, I really want the API channel strip. I really want the API twenty five hundred. Um, those are the things that I really want. But the thing I really love about UAD is uh, you could use the trial periods for all those things, and then buy just a thing, and then it restarts your trial periods. It reestates all your trial periods? Yeah. Interesting. Because they want you to buy them. So they're yeah. going to keep restarting I, every time you buy something. It's too bad they can't, they can't do like payment plan. Because I don't want a subscription, but I wouldn't mind paying off like a, like a $300 plug-in over six months. Not that that's super economical for them, because that means more headache, more accounting. Although a good portion of that could be could be automated computers and stuff. Well, they could but. do like a almost subscription-esque thing where it's just like you pay X amount a month after X amount a month you own. Yeah, that's well that's kind of like your layaway thing on the uh, on the Aston mics, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cuz I I don't need and that's why I haven't bought either of those API plugins. I don't need either of them. The API 2500 that I have with Waves is fine. Um, the API channel strip, I don't need. Besides, I have the OctoCard, and I could still only run a maximum of nine, no, eight instances, because it takes up over like one, inst- one instance of the... With an OctoCard? One instance of the API channel strip is over 50% of a core. And you can't you can't spread an instance over two cores. It has to be all on the same core. And so I could do a maximum of eight. I, so was, I could do a maximum of two. That's right. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll look it up here. Um, no, no, no. Don't look at porn stars. UAD two um, instance chart. Here we go. Instance chart. Okay, so according to the, uh, here it is, vision. Ah, my apologies, my apologies. It is stereo, uh, what is this? This is assuming, this is assuming 44.1. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it only goes up. So... Let's see here. Where was that again? Solo duo quad. Okay. It's the API. Huh. It's the API. Oh, okay. So I could I could do over 24 instances of the API channel strip. Okay, clearly I'm an idiot. Yeah. I mean, usually when they have like a DSP intensive thing, they make a DSP light version of it. That's also true, right? Um, they have an asterisk here. What does the asterisk mean? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the asterisk means. Whatever. Anyway, so it's a it's a pretty sweet uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if it ever goes on sale for less than $250. That'll probably be a while. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It'll be like there'd be a new thing that's out. Yeah, but of all the channel strips, like it's the only one that I'm really interested in paying for. I mean, the SSL one is really nice. I don't see myself but, using an SSL channel strip for very much. And and I would love to have the compressor in the SSL channel strip. Um, don't they have like a G series compressor as well? Yeah, but it's not the it's, it's not the same compressor as the channel strip. Uh, the channel, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Of the SSL emulation stuff I've used, it's just <laughs> the only thing I I would use an SSL for is like guitar tracks. Hmm. I um there was a time probably six years ago now um where I pirated all of the waves stuff. I just had a download of the entire waves collection. Um and it was uh the the channel strip, the channel strip, the gray version of the channel strip, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. I used that on I don't know. I love the way it's laid out. It's really straightforward. I use the compressor on just about everything. I hardly use the gate. Um, I'm not much of a gate guy to begin with. I think I use the gate for that either. I usually use digital gates with the option to go to an expander because I prefer expanders to gates. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like, I'm pretty happy with the uh, the Neve 88 RS. I think that's the one. Hmm. that channel strip. I have the, you know, it's the legacy one. It's, you know, whatever. It's yeah. clean and kind of transparent. SSL made their own plugin of the channel strip too. They they have their own plugin suite. Yeah, I know. Right? Like their own plugin hardware system. Yeah. yeah. I've looked at it. it. I enjoy the workflow flow you get out of them, but... I just don't see the value in... I already have something that does the job that it does, yeah. so I... Yeah, exactly. And, and the only thing I would want, probably, from them is just the channel strip. Yeah. Just the channel strip. Yeah. Which, the, the I can probably get that channel strip other ways, too. Well, and... and I think the, the big value in the channel strip is it forces you not to look at... Or not to... Uh, not to rely on your eyes to to adjust settings, right? Like, like you're adjusting yeah. EQ, you have no spectrograph, or you have no visual representation of what that EQ is doing. You have to use your eyes, and you can't really look at frequencies. And you know, um, I mean, Graham from the Recording Revolution talks about that all the time, right? Yeah. Um, and he's a huge fan of the. I don't look at those things though. Even well, on my graphic EQs that I have, it's just like a wasted portion of the GUI for me. See, and, and, and for me, I, I, I found myself early days when I was trying to get really fast at mixing. Um, I found myself, I found myself looking at those, those FFT, um, displays and, and deciding, okay, that's, that's the frequency right there that is the one I'm hearing. That's the one that's taking off or whatever. Then it's really easy to grab an EQ, place it there, notch it down until it feels right. Uh-huh. Right? It. I mean, it, it de- defeated all the ear training I did 15, 20 years ago, right? But 
Um, but I found it really useful. Yeah. And now I'm now it's one of the reasons why I'm so happy to come back to analog EQ is there's no help with that. Yeah. I have to hear it. Well, excuse me. I think you, I, I my ignoring of the graphic EQ probably comes from my my schooling because Amesh would actually straight up like watch over us as we were doing like our assignments. And if yeah. you saw that we turned on the frequency response in a graphic EQ, oh, yeah. he would pretty much chastise that person in front of the entire class. Be like, don't do that. Yeah. But he's also trying to nail in your head, like listen. And that's, it's so hard to do with computers. It's so hard to do when the majority of your, yeah, everything is through the display, well, right? He even teaches how to do, Wiring and stuff like patch bay wiring with reason. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> it works. There are like, so many cool things about so many DAWs. I just wish one would combine all of the cool things. But that'd be such a weird you know. DAW. Um, speaking of DAWs, I've been I've been playing with um, Harrison Mixbus. Yeah. Um, 30, the 32C version. Anyway, um, my computer just can't handle the, the, the GUI. It's just, it's too much going on. Hmm. It, the, uh, the responses and, and, and not that it can't handle it. I can't handle the slight bit of lag that my computer has using the software. And it's probably like a small amount of lag knowing you. It, it probably is, right? Um, you start to complain when there's like 10 milliseconds of delay for your headphones and stuff. And it's like almost not well, audible. Yeah, but you, you, you can hear it, especially, especially when you bypass the computer and just run straight through the console back out. Like it's such a difference. Oh, I know. I know it's a difference. No one else can, no one else can really it throws hear it. People off. It throws me off if there's too much latency, and like it could confuse me at first when I'm like listening back and being like, "Yeah, what's going on?" I can hear myself clearly, but it's more like after I've been playing for a little bit, it's like, "Oh, oh, there's a little delay. That's why I'm not playing in time." <laughs> I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised when, when myself or one of the other engineers here um, forgets to to reset the latency. Reset the buffer size mm-hmm. down to something usable, and the performer, singer, guitar player, whatever, they try to play along with the echo that's going on in their headphones. <laughs> you know that I just automatically do it. If I hear something, I'm gonna play along until it's like it sounds weird, and then I'll stop and try to. But that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying is like it. It. I would think. I would expect a performer who has something weird going on in their headphones, like an echo of their own voice, stop and say, hey, so there's an echo in my voice. Some people do. But yeah. a lot of them, a lot of them, they just try to power through it. Well, they might have, <clears throat> they might think that you put that echo there on purpose. But if it's... Kind of like reverb going back to them and stuff like that. I suppose, but if it sounds weird... Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, not the purpose know. of the. I'm not a singer. <laughs> yeah, guitar players too, though, or drummers or whatever. Um, okay, there well, was an. I just 
play whatever's coming back in my headphones. And then if the rhythms are like all weird and syncopated and it's very strange, hard to understand way, then, you know, then I stop because I, I just don't know where the fuck I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I went through, um, the, I had some time, I think it was Friday. I spent some time, um, opening up the console, uh, to try to discover a few things. The first thing I, the first thing I wanted to discover or I wanted to look at was, um, uh, how easy a transformer upgrade would be for the, for the channel strips, specifically for the preamp input. Okay. Um, looks like it'd be pretty easy with a Lundell, um, Lundell, uh, chipset. I have to confirm that, and I'm waiting to hear back from Soundcraft. They didn't have any information on the console anymore. Um, I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from them on something. Uh, but uh, the um, the circuit board that they that they printed for the for the channel strips has plenty of information, so we should be able to should be able to figure it out, make something worthwhile, and then install a preamp on. Uh, or a, a preamp, install a transformer on the um, signal input. Hmm. So we're looking at that. Um, I, f- I continued on with that by again visiting um, how easy it would be to to adapt the um, the pre post EQ um, insert selector. So you know how we went through every channel strip and made sure that all of the sends out of the console or out of the mic pre's were post EQ. Yeah. Um, that insert cha- uh, chain. Yeah. Um, so I was I was looking at how easy would it be to for us to adapt that to be surface mount instead of or like on the surface of the of the console instead of inside the inside the console. Right. I still think it's possible. I just don't know how, to, how much work I want to put into it. Um, it would make it infinitely more usable on Mixdown. Yeah. Um, anyway, excuse <coughs> me. Um, then I decided to open up the VCA section. Mm-hmm. And the circuit boards that are printed in there the VCA section is directly tied to the uh, stereo return channels or the stereo channels. Uh, and so it would be pretty much impossible to remove the VCA section and and install like an eight-channel automated fader pack. Right. So decided that's not going to happen either. Um, we'd have to have something custom-made and... And uh, that's maybe a possibility, but not likely. That sounds like a lot of money. Sounds like a lot of money, yeah. Um, For moving faders. Yeah. So I then decided, because we have the, we have the uh, 128 v- uh, VCA scenes, I decided to go through and reset them all to have nothing, no data. So they've all been reset. Okay. So now when someone accidentally hits the next button, they're not going to suddenly have everything muted. 
All right. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> One less headache, I guess. But That's about it. I know. Super not exciting world of... Yeah. Um, Are the Transformers giving you issues? Is that what you're... No, they're, 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 there's no Transformers. Oh, yeah. so you want... Okay, now I understand. I want to, I want to experiment. Um, yeah. Actually, what I really want to do is I want to see if I can dig up dig up an extra handful of um, of the channel strips. I should be able to pick them up online if if there are any for for sale um, for like you know twenty to forty bucks each, right? Because they're I mean they're the big clunky things that you know useless uh, everywhere else. Anyway, so I'm thinking of getting a couple of them. Um, modifying them to see if we're even going to like them. You know, maybe even getting two or three different uh, transformer options and uh-huh. testing them for, do we like this one or do we like that one or are neither of these of any, of any use to us? Oh, okay. So I'm considering, That's... considering something like that. You know, maybe even, maybe even just modifying a few of them. Yeah. You know? Because I mean, the, the the preamps, the preamps in the console sound pretty good right now, but they're largely characterless, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's largely clean and balanced and pretty neutral, but a little on the warm side. Okay, um, and that's fine. But if if we could modify them so they sound a little more something special, then we would naturally just use less and less outboard, right? Yeah. And then I could sell some outboard, but then I'd have to spend money on transformers. All of my ideas lead back to spending money. It's it's a bad thing. I'm pretty sure you'd still profit after selling some gear and buying transformers. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would. Unless you're buying like some super expensive transformers. (laughs) Well, that's, that's the, that's the messed up part is, Buying on a small scale, um, the Jensen Transformers, I think, were the ones that I could find prices for easily. Um, and not looking at online sources, but looking directly at Jensen. You can buy them directly from Jensen for somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to $100 each. I'm sure if you have bigger orders, though, that price gets smaller. Yeah, but still, I mean, if I, if I install 48 Transformers on this thing, um, that's a lot of money. It's still a lot of money, right? Yeah. So it may or may not be worth it, which is why I want to start with one. Hear one. How does that sound? And then go Fair. from there, right? Yeah. Not invest in something that you're not sure of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, now I'm into the now I'm into the part where I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out the role that the transformer will play in um in uh the input impedance because uh, right now the input impedance of the channel is 2000 ohms which is nice and reasonably high yeah. part of what makes it kind of kind of clear um some of the uh some of the ribbon mic um boosters use the same impedance um, some of them don't, but then, then the, uh, 
the Rupert Neve, the Portico stuff, all of those impedances are 10,000, which is a huge part of why, of why that circuit is so open and clean. Hmm. Whereas like the Neve, the, the, the 1073, yeah. um, and the great river, I imagine too. And the, the golden age, they're 600, um, with an option of an extra load termination to make it 1200. Hmm. Yeah. And then the focus right, the focus right ISA stuff. Yeah. Some of them that have variable impedances, they have a 300, a 600, a 1200 and something else. And don't know what the top, top one is, but I still don't care for the ISA stuff. Yeah. The ISA stuff is really great as long as you're not pushing it too hard. Um, Fair. I like how they match up with a lot of with a lot of mics. Yeah, I guess that's why people like them. It's just because they work with just about everything. But yeah, I think they have an unflattering sound to them. I think the newer ones might. You think um, the older ones are a little bit more exciting? Yeah. Well, I had that. I've had a lot of a lot of the ISA stuff come through here, right? Like I, I had two ISA ones. Yeah. Um, then I had the four channel, um, ISA, uh, preamp unit. Mm. And that was, that was part of the older line. Um, and then I have this, uh, this two twenty, which is, I mean, it's 15 years old, might even be, might even be end of the nineties which again is going back to the older line, but still not the 90s ISA line that was directly from the hands of Rupert Neve, right? Right. Um, uh, I, anyway, I, I do notice a difference between the newer stuff, the ISA ones, and the uh, that four-channel unit, for example. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, I, I found it all really nice. And it was all... It was all warm and a little bit of just a touch bit fuzzy on the top end. Maybe that's why I didn't like it because of that fuzzy top end. Yeah, it just it was just compared to the Portico stuff, which is not always fair, right? But compared to the Portico stuff, the ISA stuff was really similar in the mid range, really similar in the low end, and I mean similar, not the same. Yeah, Um, but then. But then the big standout difference was that the, the top end. end was just not as yeah. not as much detail. Okay. Yeah. No. And I mean the whole the whole ISA range is just that that one touch of detail less than yeah. the nice stuff anyway, but yeah. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Of the ISA stuff that I've heard, it's just it didn't sound as what I was expecting, especially with uh, how much people seem to talk them up. Right. So, whereas like Portico, like I, nobody talks about that, but that's a great series of everything. I'm, maybe that's why no one talks about it. Oh, yeah. maybe. <laughs> I'm still super sad that I'm that I'm trying to sell that four channel unit. If I had money. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, right? If I had but, money, I'd keep it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've I even, don't have that kind of money, so. I've even been thinking of of migrating uh, migrating it upstairs 
when we're ready because um, I'll need a four channel preamp unit up there for the voiceover session. That'd be a great station preamp to have. Yeah, we're gonna move this up there too when when it's ready. All right. Need to find a table though. We're looking for a half moon table, like a half circle table. That's size where you can fit four people around. Go to IKEA; they probably have it. Maybe, and it'll be cheap. Yeah, I hope so. Well, it's <laughs> IKEA. Yeah, not everything at IKEA is cheap, though. Oh, I know that, but <laughs> you can usually find whatever you need for dirt cheap. Also, um, she'll be happy uh, when we move upstairs because we're putting in a full size couch. Oh, thumbs up. Little thumbs up, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Okay, so so I am trolling around looking for ideas to talk about today. Uh, I stumbled across I stumbled across a list of recording tips. And I was hoping that I'd read through them slowly and have you just peanut gallery them. Yeah. Because seems to be what I do every time I go into those lists. Like, is there going to be anything that actually interesting in here? Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is, um, this particular list seems to end at, uh, end after mixing. Um, it doesn't go into mastering, right? It's just getting through the recording and mixing process. Okay. Okay. It's broken up into it's broken up into five sections. Okay. Okay. It's uh, before the recording, setup, the recording. Yeah. Um, monitoring, uh, and I think they mean monitoring for mixing, um, and then of course mixing. All right. Where's editing? <laughs> if they're going through the the process of maybe making I, a song, you it, know what? It it's, should be like set up, recording, editing. Uh, Although maybe it's in there somewhere. It, yeah, it might be in here. Okay, so I figure I'll read I'll read and or paraphrase to you, and then have you chime in. So we're gonna start with the the, the first section, which is basically pre production. Okay. Which in so many places doesn't get talked enough. Okay. Talked about enough. Yeah. I need to not shorten my words like bay. There's too many artists that don't know what pre-production are, is. Yes. It's very true. Like, we have to have our songs written? Yes. Yes, you do. Unless you want to pay me a retarded amount of money. Well, and, and, and they never they never do the math on that, right? They never do the math on that. It's... It's fifty dollars an hour. It's seventy-five dollars an hour. It's a hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. Oh, but can't I just come in and write my songs in the studio and then we start charging? No. Okay. So, item number one on the list, and I actually really like this. It gives me a really good idea. Um, record your songs uh, at live gigs and pre-production rehearsals. Um, yeah. Well, even yeah. a simple, even a simple, uh, one microphone setup, uh, will reveal weak parts of the song. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, <clears throat> I love that because that's that is the core right there. If you do nothing else, for just slap an omnidirectional mic in the middle of the room, or shit, hide uh, hide your cell phone underneath someone's jacket at band practice. Yeah, that can work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you can listen back here where you fucked up. Well, not just where you fuck up, but parts in the song that don't work. Like I'm, I'm having a, I'm having a um, pre-production session Thursday morning with a client, and he'd sent me, he'd sent me some phone recordings of him and an acoustic guitar, just so I could get familiar with the song. Um, and a couple of the big things that stood out were transitions into the verse coming out of the chorus didn't quite seem right. Something was amiss, almost like it was a wrong key. So we've made a note about it. We're going to sit down together and see if we can figure it out. Okay. Um, but identifying those kind of things, that's, that's a huge part of the battle. You know, yeah. transitions are something that transitions between parts are something that bands and artists totally take for granted and we often in the studio, or at least I do in the studio, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to solve that problem as we're laying down guitars. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, hey, so now that I hear what the drums and the bass and this guitar track are doing, or this piano track, oh wow, suddenly I notice that there's a there's an issue here. <laughs> this should be addressed before we go on any further. Do we have to re-record everything? Well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Number two. Jesus. It's not number two. Um, have all the musical and vocal parts worked out. In quotations, know your guitar solos. So as I was reading this first bit, I was thinking, this might be just a copy of, of Glenn Fricker's How to Get Your Band Ready for the Studio series of videos yeah yeah anyway so know all your parts super important probably doesn't need any commentary do you have any no you have any comments on that all right number three um prepare all sequenced material before the session okay makes sense right yeah um, i want to i want to expand that by having Having on a USB drive or something like that have MIDI and wave versions of the sequences. Even if the waves sound shitty. Even if the waves sound shitty, but want to at least be able to hear what they're supposed to sound like. Yeah. Um, okay, number four. <laughs> if you plan to use a click track, Make sure the drummer knows how to play to it. Make sure everybody in the band knows how to play to it. Yeah. Yeah. Although, especially the drummer. Oh, yeah. It's usually easier if the rest of the band can follow the drummer, but yeah. Especially if there's, especially if there's parts where, where there's no drummer. Yeah. The other guys need to be able to. Okay. It's very difficult to edit a drum when people can't play to a click. I really like this one because it means more work and therefore possibly more money for us. <laughs> Rehearse more songs. This is number five. Rehearse more songs than you plan to record. You never know which songs will sound strong on the final mix. 
Um, for example, if you plan if you plan to have a four song EP, prepare six songs. I, I think that's just a professional musician thing, though, where it's like write a shit ton of songs, pick the best ones, release those. Mm-hmm. The ones that aren't so strong, like whatever, they they don't get heard. I was a huge Tori Amos fan throughout the '90s and the early part of the 2000s, and and she would do she would do half a dozen more for every record. And I remember a live show her telling the story of one particular song that she then played um, that she'd recorded for four albums in a row or something like that. <clears throat> and it never made it on any of them. And then she finally stopped recording it. Um, but she still played it live because she liked the song. It just didn't belong on any of those records. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and sometimes it takes that long for that song to just finally work because new yeah. ideas come to you that you apply to the song. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? Uh, okay. Number six, take care of your body before and during your recording session. Eat well, get enough sleep, keep your ears rested and clear. Yeah. Kind of self-explanatory. Well, should be doing that at all times anyway. but Stay away from milk and dark green vegetables. If you're singing, yeah. If you're just going to be in the studio. Both of those, especially combined, both of those um, add to a lot of farting. So I'm not allowed to have tacos and beans and milk? Uh, not all at the same time. And I, I, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> but <laughs> hot sauce. Someone else here might say, you know, like, dude, put a cork in it. Okay. All the good foods make you sinky, though. <laughs> this okay. So now we're um, we're into setup. So that's that's getting prepared. Yeah. Now we're into setup. Um, number seven. I like this because I do this to bands all the time. Um, be early. At some studios, the clock starts running whether you're there or not. It um, should be at all studios, but it should be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some I'm of the more private. Gonna... Some of the more private studios, I imagine are a little lax at that, but it's certainly the commercial studios where you're renting by the hour. And yeah, private studios are weird and they usually charge a lot more though, don't they? I think it depends on the studio. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, I've had so many people just not show up. So it's just mm-hmm. the moment you're supposed to be here. That's when the clock starts. If you're not here for a half hour or whatever, your build for that half hour. I had that band in 2012 that I think they might have shown up on time once in three weeks, mm-hmm. but it was every single day, three to five hours late. And then when they got the bill, and they, I, I warned them about it the first day or two, and then stopped mentioning it because, like, if they're not going to get it, I'm not going to bother repeating myself. But. They got the bill and it was like three or four thousand dollars. No, it wasn't. That. It was like two thousand dollars more than they had budgeted for. Right. But they kept showing up three to five hours late, all that time. And you had to explain to them. You yeah. showed up several hours. I now, was ready. Now, I I ended up giving them the day rate on most things. Mm-hmm. Um, so daily, it wasn't it wasn't too significant. Um, increased cost, like, but it was still probably, it was still probably hundred dollars a day in excess of what they'd budgeted for. All that adds up. Yeah. Okay. 
did they end up paying you? That was the band that the band themselves refused to pay for anything and their singer went to jail. Oh, and he was the one band. that was supposed to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then of course I got the, I got the Mesa boogie, um, single wreck head out of it. Um, which has been a workhorse for me around here. So fair. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I still think, I, I think I ended up losing $300 on that session that I had to write off, but I was glad That's to be done. bigger than several thousand. Although in fairness, they came back to me twice after that. And both times they walked out on, on uh, paying their bills. Sounds like you shouldn't be, uh, well, the, with them. the last time when someone comes around and I have no work at the times that they want, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. You know, and then I'm going to try to go on faith. Yeah. Maybe just charge them a higher deposit next time. That, that was one of the issues. The third time, the third time they came around, um, they couldn't put down a deposit and then the day of, he showed up with a hundred bucks. And so I was like, okay, at least there's some money. I haven't booked anyone else on these days because you guys are going to be here. Let's go. And then I, they didn't, they didn't end up staying for as long as they, as they said they would still two days, but they ended up doing like five hour days instead of eight hour days. Okay. Um, so I could have booked in more. And then they just didn't bother paying after that. So you got $100? Got $100 out of a two-day weekend, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Made for a nice write-off, but awful. Yes, she does want to climb behind you and sleep behind you. Instead, she'll just sleep on your back. It's cute. Um, okay. So that was, yeah, that was number seven. Number eight, make the studio a comfortable and relaxed place. If it's not, it will show in your final product, in your finished product. So I guess, I guess this is one of those comments about. That's just the business 101. Like if you have people come in. Oh, but this isn't, this isn't for us. This is for the musicians, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like. Um, it, it's not make sure that it's a comfortable place, but make it a comfortable place. Like a band walking in here and then saying, Hey, can I, can I put up some candles over here? And, and, uh, can I move this furniture around a little bit so that it, you know, I like this vibe and I want to bring those hand drums in over here just so that they're beside me, you know, like yeah, that kind of stuff. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. No. Um, it's also pretty motivating if you have a nice looking uh, place. That is that is very true. If the if the place feels really vibey already, <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, number nine. Make sure you and the engineer have the same vision. Go over your songs with them before recording, before booking your studio time. Ask to hear other material the engineers recorded. That's that should be kind of part and parcel. Like before you. As you're auditioning studios or trying to make a decision, you should, you should, you should. But yeah. more often than not, musicians are just like, "What are you going to offer me for a price?" Well, and 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 those those are the ones that usually don't know what they're looking for anyway, right? Yeah, 
you know so what else do they have to go on other than price yeah yeah and it's it's not it's not as though the ex, the more expensive the better the person is right i mean sometimes sometimes the more expensive sometimes they're shittier you know okay um number 10 uh this one i really like this one and i i kind of feel like this is something that I should just implement as a standard forcing creativity because sometimes things get pretty out of hand. Um, depending on whether your studio has eight, 16, 24 or 48 track capability, plan out how you will leave room for all the essential parts. This will simplify the mix and eliminate eliminate the need for bouncing tracks later. I really like, and this has nothing to do with this particular comment, but I really like the idea of making a digital studio have a maximum track count. Like if we said, if we said this was a 40 track studio or a 48 track studio Mm -hmm. period, how cool would that be if we had to, if we had to cut things to make room for other things. Now, in the grand scheme of things, most of the recordings we end up doing are in the, you know, 20 to 30 range yeah. track count wise. But I don't see needing personally more than 32 tracks. Mm-hmm. Ever, really. Yeah. This is, 48 is a ridiculous amount. That's well, even, even, um, well, so Chris Lord Algae, yeah, he's got a forty-eight track count maximum. Um, but anything he bounces we, to thirty-two, doesn't he? No, he bounces down to forty-eight. Anything oh. that comes in beyond that, he has he has his assistants do a sub mix yeah. or whatever, um, and then and then that's the maximum track count. So if if a client sends him a, sends him a multi-track that has too many options, he's like, "Well, we'll make decisions for you, and we're cutting stuff." Yeah. And he still gets paid $8,000 a mix. And I hear he doesn't take all that much time to do the mixes either. Well, like it shouldn't be a handful of passes. It shouldn't be. I mean, I imagine he probably spends, he's probably still spends three or four hours a mix, maybe longer. But maybe. I don't imagine, uh, but I don't imagine it's any less than that. I imagine most of the work is his assistants prepping it for him. And he's got like everything set up the way he wants it anyway. So it's just a matter of like, oh, I don't like that. So I'm going to engage this, play with it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, I imagine he's got his workflow down to a point where he can spend several hours and get the same results out of like 10 hours of, I'm going to put in this plugin yeah. and play with it a little bit. And it would be, it would be back to the, Back to the idea of the of the point here, point number ten. It would be pretty cool if bands thought about that in advance, but that's really what the producer is supposed to do. So yeah. if a band has a producer, they're kind of thinking like, or they should be kind of thinking like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one's kind of a kind of a pre-prod thing, I guess. But number eleven, use new strings, chords, drumsticks, drum heads. Bring spares of everything. I like number 12. 
find out the hours of the local music store just in case. Yeah. Um, number 13 is this one's, this one's pretty poignant. Um, don't use new gear or different equipment that you haven't used before, even if it's quote unquote better than what you have. Surprises almost always lead to problems. Well, you don't have time to fiddle around with your new toy. First ever recording studio. we did here. Um, the one of the guitar players rented a uh, Les Paul studio from Long and McQuaid. I think it was the downtown store. Anyway, so it came in and it was not set up. They'd done a setup on it, but it was not set up well. And okay. intonation above the seventh fret was just awful. Um, and most of what he played, like he was one of those kind of punkish guitar players where he played most things at, you know, like the seventh to 14th fret. Like that was his, that was his range. Yeah. Right. And so we couldn't use it. It was just, it was just completely unusable. And we didn't do, we didn't start his tracks until, didn't, didn't start his tracks until late on a Sunday. And then we wasted that entire day trying to get it to work. And of course, none of us, none of us there. Well, we had other guitars, you know, like I had my two that were set up and ready to go. And, and the other guitar player had, uh, he'd brought his two guitars, but this guy didn't even want to touch his guitar. He wanted to play this thing. And, um, yeah, so he went back Monday morning to Long and McQuaid and had them do a proper setup on it, brought it back in that Monday night and we got the tracks, but I think it ended up putting us half a day behind. Exactly, right? Okay, so that's the end of the setup process. Although um, I wish it would have gone into uh, a little more of actual setup, but that's all. Still, that's all kind of. It's uh, still kind of yeah, getting ready for the studio. Getting ready for the studio. That's not setup. Yeah, it wouldn't uh, wouldn't be what I'd call setup. Anyway, number fourteen. We're into the recording process now. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, remember, it's emotion and feeling that make the best song, not necessarily the best technical rendition. Mm, I understand I that, that depends on the song. It, well, yes and no. Or is um, it rather the style of the song? I think there's a minimum level of technical uh, technical requirement you know like there has to be a minimum proficiency in the performance yeah. for emotion to even have an impact right yeah you can't just clank away at strings and expect something good out of it well it, it, it's it's such a high school thing right like the end of a the end of a guitar player playing a high school guitar solo um and he says, man, I felt that so much. And the audience is going, dude, that just shut sucked. the fuck up. <laughs> Silence would be better. <laughs> um, but I do, I do argue with musicians a lot on that. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm sure you do too. When they, they put down a wonderful performance, but there's too little technical issues. And they can't get past that technical issue. Um, had one a couple weeks ago where the guitar player, the guitar player did a cool little. It, it was a great inspired thing that had groove rather than flair. 
um, to it just had, it had this really nice, like soulfulness to it. Mm-hmm. And then he does this little technical run into the final note that he bends up into to transition into the, into the final chorus. Pretty typical composition, but he flubbed just kind of like got the note right, but muted it instead of pinched it or instead of, instead of whatever. It, and so it kind of had this, this almost percussive feel, the note right before the, right before the thing. Mm-hmm. But to an outsider, it sounded like a muted pickup. And it was just such a great, great, like little tiny moment. And so I tell him, dude, that was fantastic. You got to come in and listen to that. You know, um, the, the singer was sitting behind me and he was loving it. And so the guy comes in and he's like, and he listens to it and he's like, ah, oh, that's fucking awful. Whole solo is junk. I'm like, what part do you mean? Like, like that, that, that feels great. And he's like, ah, oh, no, but there's that one note and, and, and I go from like two strings to one string in this section. And I'm like, oh, and it all sounds great. It feels inspired. <laughs> and all I could hear was those technical things that. Yeah. That's when you need to get out the tape and be like, you got two passes. The best one gets it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do the old school thing. Okay. Uh, number 15. This one's good um, as long as the musician is okay with mistakes, which you and I both love mistakes Most when they work. Mistakes right? can work, yeah. So number 15, if you mess up a part while recording, don't stop, then start over. can easily cause you to burn out. Instead, check to see if the engineer can punch in the correction. Yeah. That's fair. Oh, that's just called being a professional musician in the first place. If you fuck up, just keep, just keep going. playing yeah. because it doesn't necessarily mean the stuff afterwards is going to be bad. Maybe that's like the section you play afterward might be the best take of the day. Yeah. And then, you know, that part where you screwed up, like we can fix that later. Like you can go in and play that section again and I can edit it so that the best exactly. of everything gets displayed. Okay, number 16. You don't have to fill all the tape, all the tracks on the tape. Don't try to force something that won't fit. This is probably more um, more towards, you know, because we have unlimited track count now, but um, you don't have to. You have 32 you tracks. Force, you don't need to use 32 tracks. Yeah, and you don't have to force more and more and more layers just to have a high track count. Yeah. You know, if, if a song ends up being sounding great with 19 I dislike, tracks. <clears throat> I dislike setups. Like when I'm sent tracks and everything is set up in a way where it's just like, you did this for the sake of just saying you tracked a lot of tracks. A lot of this could have been, and it's usually like I'll edit everything so that they're not on separate tracks anymore. Right. And like maybe they'll have like, this is the chorus guitars. This is the verse guitars. This is the bridge guitars. Just like, okay, these are the guitar tracks. I'm not surprised we didn't get through this. Uh, maybe we'll continue this next week, but maybe not. This Who is knows? fun. This is a fun commentary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I'm sure we'll find more of these. But for now, we'll leave you and see you next week. See ya. 
way Follow too long. Follow our hosts on Twitter 